There's a lot we could say. I want to start just with that first reading Saint, uh, from the King David, that image of um, what should have been a great victory. Like, if you don't know the story, it sounds kind of strange, but Absalom, yes, he's the son of the king, but he's also, like, taken over from the king. He's usurping the power, turning the country against the king. And Absalom is defeated. His long hair got caught in the tree branches, and the, the chief general of King David thrust a lance through his side, and he's dead. And you're like, it's a great victory. The son who was your betrayer, is dead. And you have won, O king. And they bring the news to David, and what was David's reaction? Y'all remember what had happened? Was David happy? He says one of the most tragic lines of the Old Testament. Absalom, my son, my son, O Absalom, would that it had been me to die in your place. It's beautiful. His enemy, his son who betrayed him, yet cost him, and his heart bled for Absalom. What's interesting is that, again, Old Testament, New Testament, that's a great story in itself in the Old Testament. But if you ever watch movies that are series, y'all heard me say this before, right? Avengers or Star Wars. Like, in the early episode, you might see some little anecdote or something happens, and you're like, okay, that's nice. I get it, episode one. But by episode three, especially the finale, it's like, oh, that makes so much much more sense now. If that helps you at all, great Easter eggs. I love them. But, um, like... In the sight of King David, in that context, it's great, but in the New Testament, you have God looking at you and me, sons and daughters of God. Raise your hand if in your sins, maybe you betrayed God's love a little bit. Anybody done that? Come on, raise your hand. Be, be honest, come on. All right, our Lord looks at you who betrayed him, and he said, oh, my daughter, my daughter, my son, would that it had been you in my place. Would that I could die for your sin in your place. And what did God do? He did die in your place, in my place. So like King David is like giving us a hint of something that was to be expected, something that was still to come in the fullness of God's revelation about himself. So I don't want to get too stuck on that, but I think it's fascinating how that God tries to give us little hints about his own divine heart through the heart of David and others that we see in the Bible. This episode of The Woman, if, raise your hand if you've seen the, the series The Chosen. Anybody seen the series The Chosen? Okay, you need to watch it. I really highly, I'm a movie critic. I hate cheap stuff. They've done a great job. And season three, episode five, nails this story. Just a great illustration of what it must have been like for this poor woman who's bleeding for how many years? How many years has she been bleeding? 12 years. 12 years to be suffering this, what, tragedy. Like, like, and especially in Jewish culture, she's exiled. You don't mess with blood in Hebrew culture. It's taboo. So she's got no friends, no family. Her father has like, you know, you're not my daughter. You have no father. And the episode just walks with her all, all up until this encounter with Jesus Christ. It's life-changing for her. It's beautiful the way they, they portrayed it. couple of thoughts. How old, her name wasn't Talitha, but I call her Talitha. How old was Talitha? Twelve. Both of those people could have said, God, why did you let me suffer with this? God, why did you take my daughter at age 12? She was so young. God, why? What's interesting is that when this girl was born at age 12, who was supposed to die, when she was born, she was supposed to die at age 12. That's what was going to happen. The day she was born, a woman started to bleed. So that 12 years later, those two lives would interweave. And the healing of the woman would be a sign of faith for the father's daughter to persist in his faith. So 
So that even when his daughter was dead at home, he wouldn't doubt. And because of his faith, his daughter lived beyond 12. God wove those two lines together. It's actually one of the longest Gospels, and they always put it together on a weekday Mass because the two go together. And the faith of the woman that allowed her to get past her infirmity was a sign to Jairus to still believe, even when he was told, your daughter's dead, leave the teacher alone. He still believed. And he said, teacher, come all the way to my house. I don't care. You're coming in. The faith that brought about such miracles. Little detail too. This woman, it says, had spent all of her resources on doctors and all these other solutions to try to stop the flow of blood, try to heal her. And so many times in, our, in the spiritual sense, like we are thirsting for some sort of joy, some sort of satisfaction. And I'm, I, I receive a, a satisfaction. I receive it. It's good. Thanks for the cookie. Thanks for winning the Nintendo game. Thanks for the, 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 the touchdown in the football game. I was a hero for a whole day. People cheered me. And then it was gone. And I'm still hungry for more. I need something else. Fill me. What can fill me? What is it that can fill me? I'm hungry for more. I'm thirsty for more. Nothing fills me. You can spend your life trying to find something that stops the flow of thirst. Nothing will do it in this life, in this world. Only when you bring it to the Lord can the infinite goodness of God fill your infinite hole. If you try to fill the infinite hole of your heart with finite goods, it doesn't work. We call that addiction. If you keep trying to look to fill it with human things, worldly things, it doesn't work. Your heart was made for Him. St. Augustine, beautiful line from St. Augustine, Our hearts are restless, O God, until they rest in You. And she shows us that. This woman shows us that when she brought it to the Lord, He alone could bring satisfaction to that infirmity of her heart. Lastly, He's in a crowd of people crowding in on him. Like even his disciples are like, the episode does a great job of showing how hard they're working to get him to get through the crowd. There's so many people touching him, pushing upon him, wanting something. And this woman touches him. And our Lord suddenly stops. Who touched me? And Simon Peter, I love Simon Peter because he says some dumb things that we can all appreciate. We say some dumb things too. He says, Lord, like, don't you see the crowd? Like, what is, what is this? What are you looking for? Like, they all, they're all touching you. No, someone touched me with a real touch of faith. You know, a lot of people reach out to God, but not everyone manages to do it with faith. A lot of people come before our Lord in Holy Communion. This woman touches a hem of his garment. In Holy Communion, he said, this is my body, my flesh, this is my blood poured out for you. You touch the body, and blood of God. But do we touch it with faith? A lot of people say, gosh, you know, I see so many Catholics, they go to communion all the time, and they're still hypocrites and losers, and they criticize me and judge me. I don't think communion does anything for them. Well, I don't disagree, depending on our dispositions, when we come to touch God, to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of God into our hearts. We ask the Lord, as we prepare for that moment in just a few minutes, that He would give us the right disposition of heart, of mind, of body, of soul, to touch the Savior, to touch God Himself in the flesh, in our midst. 
May we learn the lessons of these passages. May we come to see what God is trying to challenge our faith to look like their faith so that the world around us would see what happens to us and believe in God among us. Amen? St. Charles Borromeo, pray for us.